Welcome to the Construction Career Podcast with Cliff and Kent, where we explore different areas of the construction industry to shed light on what life is like in companies across the field to help you build your career to your own specification. This episode of the Construction Career Podcast is brought to you by Wilson and Hampton Painting Contractors. Wilson and Hampton has been the premier painting contractor in Southern California since 1923. From concurrent projects at LAX and the historical restoration of the Salk Institute to decorative painting and gold leafing in LDS temples around the world. Whether working in the field or in-house refinishing shop, Wilson and Hampton can provide you with the quality and experience needed to make your next project a success. Welcome to the Construction Career Podcast with Cliff and Kent. Tonight we're talking to Randy Gellert from W.E. O'Neill. He's a project manager uh, that we've worked with on at least one project. And we'll talk a little bit about that, and we'll talk a little bit about some other things. But first, let's introduce Randy and say thanks for coming on. We're glad that you could make it, and I uh, hope you had a good meal. Yes, thank <laughs> you for dinner, and happy to be here. So how old are you, Randy? I am 47. And you've been with W. Neal for how long? Twelve and a half years. And what is your current job title? Project manager. How long have you been a PM? Eleven years. Eleven, and a, eleven and a half years. Boy, they advance quickly at O'Neill, huh? <laughs> Field engineer, right to the PM. <laughs> I started you? when I was 35 at O'Neill. So. <laughs> How long have you been in construction? Probably since I got out of school, so 26 years, probably. Various capacities. Well, now we're going to talk a little bit about okay. where you got started, kind of how you went on. Did you go to school for construction? I did not. What did you, you go to school for? I went to school for the degree used to be called industrial distribution, which is really just a you get a background in engineering and a background in management and it doesn't point you in either direction most people get into some kind of technically oriented sales and I couldn't find a job out of school so I started working for a friend of the family who owned a construction company so that was like 91 92 92 bad bad time to get out of school (laughs) if you were an architect it was the absolute worst time in the 20th century to get out of school is that right? Just because construction was so low or what? Yeah. That Gulf War? Huh? That was the time of the Gulf War? 91, wasn't that? It was the Gulf War had already ended. Uh-huh. Gotcha. George didn't time that right. He was like two years too early. Bad times. Where'd you go to school, Randy? I went to a, a small private university in upstate New York called Clarkson University. Where are you from? You're from back east. I'm from Rochester, New York. Okay. Gotcha. My wife was a nanny in New York, and she was upstate Chappaqua, a couple different places up. I don't know sure. how far upstate that is, but she uh, she always wants to anything. If you're from New York City, anything outside of Manhattan, outside of Manhattan <laughs> is upstate New York. Yeah. <laughs> and you studied in industrial. What was it called? It's called industrial distribution. Was the the name of the program? Did uh, do you feel like that was anything that helped you in your career in no. construction? It's just Absolutely just not. a piece of paper. I, and I realized at later in my life that I went to college to continue playing soccer. There you go. Do you still play soccer? No. Kills your knees. I was playing up until four years ago. It just got too hard to recover on. Games were on Sundays. Yeah, Monday it was a rough, rough Monday. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Can't take enough to leave. That's right. But No, the uh, I would say, if anything that we've noticed, you know, it's really popular with the Hispanic crowd. And they all have like bad knees, and they still play into their later years, and it's like you just you don't recover like you did when you were kids. There's a paint rep for Tanemic. He owns Tanemic here in Los Angeles. He played rugby. And Tony's 
got to be 60-something, and now he's just refing, but he's still out there all the time. <laughs> well, he does soccer, too. He plays soccer a lot. Soccer or rugby? Yeah, he soccer. Tony's a soccer player. Okay. Little guy, little English guy. He loves soccer. Oh, there you go. So you talk about you graduated. What was your first job out of school? My first job out of school was installing water and sewer main for a small uh, pipeline company. Good use of your degree. Yes. Yeah, that's industrial <laughs> distribution. Superb use of my degree. But, you know, it paid well and allowed me to move out of the house and live on my own and do your own thing. Do my own thing. So. Well, you know, there's. I, I have to admit, having been in the field and been in the office, there's times that it's just nice, you know, just working and not having to think about anything. You just do your job. You zone out. Like, especially if you got crap going on in your life, like, work, work's like a release, you know. You just go do it and be done. And yeah, There's no doubt about it. There's often times that I wish I was still laying pipe. Well, we're not going <laughs> to go there. But I agree. That's, that's a good idea. So you started off as a laborer. Uh-huh. And then what was, and this was just for a small company, where'd you move to from there? After six years of doing that, I moved to a, another small family-owned company that was an actual industrial distributorship. I was hired as a salesperson. I was a horrible salesperson. You know, it was a small company, so there was really no training for selling anything. It was right. just kind of like, here's a list of people. Give them a call, figure it out. Set up appointments, go meet with them, and then you meet with them, and they know a lot more about what you're trying to sell them than you know about it. So it didn't work out as a salesperson, but we started servicing some of our bigger clients. And we started basically a construction division, uh, installing pump systems, uh, structural platform staircases, tank covers, process piping, tanks, and then also doing repairs at these facilities on some of their existing systems. So you must have been doing a lot of maintenance materials for mm-hmm. utility for utilities and, and municipalities and so forth yes correct you were there for how long i was there for six and a half years okay and then from there where did you go then i moved to southern california jobless <laughs> and that's when you started working for WNU. that's when i uh got on i think either monster or career builder and interviewed with o'neill and they extended an offer and i accepted is that still, uh, you know, I, I realize you probably don't do a whole lot of hiring in your position now. Zero. But <laughs> do you think that's still a viable opportunity for people that are looking for a job? They find them something online that maybe WNL's got a thing online? Yeah, I would think so. I mean, I, I haven't looked for yeah, work. Yeah, I've been looking for now the last right. 12 years. Now everybody, uh, you know, at least in the construction industry, there's a lot of phone calls from headhunters. So, Yeah, that's true. And I know a lot of, like a lot of the bigger firms, they have. The career days at the colleges where they're trying to pick people up right out of school and but if if someone is looking for a job i mean they can look and see if there's anything that's hiring and you put in a resume you have just as good of a chance as maybe somebody else huh is there much is there much hiring based on personal relationships at o'neill uh, where you know new people are hired because they know this superintendent or there is definitely some of that for sure and there's a there's a bonus program actually for if you bring somebody if in you, if you bring somebody in they have to stay at o'neill for a certain amount of time before you, you don't get, get the bonus. bonus the day the person shows up they have to you know i think it's 90 days they have to be employed what's an entry level position with o'neill now project engineer is the entry level position uh, and then there's also field engineer now which they didn't have when i started is that something that requires a degree are you aware? 
I'm not aware. Project engineer, I believe, does. I'm not sure about field engineer. Whether it does or does not. Yes. Do they have labor? Well, WNL self performs some things. Do they have laborers? or? We have a few laborers. Our goal is to not self perform anything. Uh, certain projects have requirements that the general self performs a certain percentage, which is when we'll bring in your we'll crew. Bring in a crew. I was shocked when I found out that Hensel Phelps places concrete. Really? Yeah, I didn't know that either. <laughs> yeah, it was a little bit of a... That, that we found out about that on some of the projects we've worked on. Yeah. yeah. They're doing some pretty high-scale stuff in doing the concrete. The W.E. O'Neill in Chicago does their own concrete. That's They were putting up one of the skyscrapers on the riverfront when we were there last year. Oh, is that I remember right? seeing the sign, and I can't remember what it was, but it was going to be a big one close to the close to the lake, just as you're coming into town. So that just its own form of headache. They have their own concrete division I should say I don't think they do it for all their own jobs they probably work for other people too so we have a concrete division in Chicago just not in LA so where did you start at with W.E. O'Neill did as you come a in project as a engineer and how long was that I tenure was I guess P.E. for I don't even think a year maybe nine months and they nine moved you up to, to a year project manager is that Correct. the jump I mean do you go from one to the next typically you would become an assistant PM first or an assistant superintendent first and then you know decide where you want to decide go which there. way you want to go but i think that the career path is generally pe apm pm or pe aps ps how many superintendents move up into project management i don't know of any but i i've heard some some of the younger guys talking about how they would like to they've been p superintendents and they would like to try project management well, it's kind of the division, right? Like, if you're going to stay in the field, then you do the superintendent route. And if you're going to go to the office, then you need to go the PM route. Yeah, it's, I don't know, I'm, I'm a field-oriented PM, so I, it just helps me process things to see it and understand it rather than just look at the paper. So I spend, for a PM, I think I spend a lot of, probably more time in the field than I should, but that's just the way I operate. Right. At O'Neill, at least the way I look at it, is a superintendent and a PM are really parallel as far as... It's like a horizontal move. Yeah, it's not... I don't consider myself the boss of the superintendent. I don't think that they consider themselves the boss of me, quote-unquote. Uh, Depends on the superintendent. But right. <laughs> but at the end of the day, you know, the PM is holding the money, so... Is there a pay differential between superintendents and PMs? I don't think so. I think it's very similar. From there, I mean, is there is there a next move for the project manager if they decide they want to go, like, estimating or scheduling or estimating further down the list? Like, how is it laid out? It depends kind of what you have in mind. So we have a – I know of one PM who was tired of being a PM and went into estimating. He's full-time estimating now. A lot of PMs uh, want to make the jump to project executive, and then after that it's – Whatever you want to do. Whatever. Yeah. You got to move right. after that. <laughs> right. Exactly. Now, there didn't used to be, but now we have senior PM, senior project superintendent, which we didn't, wasn't a title two or three years ago. Do they, what do they just get bigger projects? I think that the criteria is, you know, you're, you have the ability to manage a bigger team uh, on a bigger project. So if, if you want to hang out with the constructoids, then you stay a superintendent. And if you want to, like, have to deal with customers, 
and, and put on a jacket once in a while, you're a PM. That's right. Yeah. One guy's shoving people, the other one's shoving paper. That's basically how it works. Correct. You know, talking about as a PM, like how what would you classify your job? Like what do you do on a daily basis? Oh, boy. I've said a variety of different things, but on a daily basis, really, it's making sure your team is, is functioning the way it needs to to, to make others productive so you know as a general contractor we look at at least at o'neill we look at it as as definitely a team effort with the subs and if the subs don't do well we're not going to do well Uh, the project will suffer so we want to make sure the subs are performing we want to perform and we want to help facilitate the work as best we can so that everybody can be productive so that's i think that's the key for the project success and then you know then there's always the mediating in the field between you know whether it's different subs owners and subs whether uh, they're fighting or right they're doing whatever superintendent and subs <laughs> project engineers and subs safety guys and safety subs. guys and subs <laughs> project engineers and owners superintendents and owners and then uh you know there's the cost side of course which is critical to to making sure everybody is whole at the end of the job yeah and i i, I tell people like granted project management for one scope is a lot different than project management for all scopes but it's really like you get paid to think because you really have to sit down and figure out how is this all going to get done and what's it going to take to do it right and then it's like you got to be a couple steps ahead of where you are now and when something goes wrong like okay now we what do we do to you know crisis avert this crisis or at least get around it and go from there right that's the part that you know that i like the best is this the, the crisis the solving of the problems or helping solve the problems and not that I solve every problem. Obviously there's assistance from subs and, and the superintendents and the engineers. Uh, so that's the collaboration and the, the problem solving is what I enjoy the most. The pushing of the paper is not something that I love. So the job is really do everything you can to avoid problems and then solve them when they arrive. I mean, because that's, I mean, that's really it. You know, you you facilitate everybody on the job. You're trying to make their job as easy as possible. And that gives you time to solve problems when they occur. Right. Because if things are just assholes and elbows, and <laughs> then you have a problem. Now it's really bad. Well, and I would say, like, you know, starting off, you kind of want to delay those problems because you're like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to bring this up and yada, yada, yada. But it's like the faster you get it, out there the faster it gets resolved and the less less problems that you have yeah. after the fact it's important to get the the bad news out in the open quickly i think but just to get everybody starting to think about it if you if you try to hide it or think it'll go away it's not going to go away it needs to be resolved well and i will say from personal experience working with w e o'neill when you problems arise and you go to them and say hey we've got an issue they're really good to work through it and that was my experience with Randy, especially like we, you know, we can talk about that next, I guess, you know, all at, the problems we have as a project <laughs> manager. What do you do when you're handed a big problem job? Like, what would your advice be to the people that are then on oh, that job? Boy, I guess my advice would be to do your best not to let it really drive you down and and stress you out it's it's not easy don't internalize it right it's a good way of putting it thank you well most of the time it's not your fault 
you may be getting blamed, but it's not your fault. <laughs> not your fault. <laughs> I mean, because there's so many pieces in a project, then you're trying to juggle all those pieces, and pieces are always missing. I mean, an architect has a very difficult job. He's supposed to put all those pieces together, and he's not an expert in any of them, and and he misses stuff. And sometimes the things he misses are really big. Right. Like, you know, the ramp doesn't line up with the landing. <laughs> well, they don't give you any color designations on the whole freaking structure. Yeah. And that's a, you know, I constantly remind myself that the other thing we never know is what kind of contract did the architect sign with the owner? Maybe he didn't get a contract for a totally coordinated set of drawings, you know? Who knows? That's an interesting point, that as the general... It's still kind of a crapshoot. Like you don't even know what you're going to end up with half the time, probably. Right. Unless you're doing design build, I guess. But and that's the you know that's because a lot of people are quick to to point blame at the architect and like you know maybe they gave him a price for the Cadillac set of plans, but the owner only wanted to buy the Toyota set the, of plans. The Pinto. <laughs> right. He said, "Well, we're going to have a really good general. He'll figure that <laughs> stuff out." <laughs> so I mean. Internally, you know, that's when you're on a problem job like that. I mean, you don't internalize it. You just kind of work through it as the problems arise. Again, we've already talked about this. Like, get them out there in the open early on. Do you feel at WNL that you get a lot of support from the people above you? I I do, and I feel um, I'm probably one of my faults, I guess, is I, I don't like to ask for a lot of help. So I've learned, though, that sometimes you need it. And uh, especially on my last project, the one that you guys were on, I definitely needed some support from my executive, and he and he was there. So the executive, he would, I would think that he pretty much stays away from the actual construction. Depends on the executive. I've I, I found that it, with the executives, as, as long as you keep them informed, and some like to be more informed than others, they'll typically leave you alone and let you do your let you do the job that they hired you to do it's when you don't keep them informed that they start to pry and dig and ask more questions and Give it's, them a, just, it's just communication you know back and forth but you know for the most part if the executives at your job a lot that typically means the job's not going all that well so <laughs> you just know they should be there for the owners meeting and you know maybe once once a week to walk the job uh, that's kind of typically what we see. I think we talked about this in the Hensel Phelps podcast. Was uh, the one thing I would say about W and is I guess take good vacations is the way to go because you guys <laughs> you guys had like the killer vacations. I talk about the guys are going. Well, yeah, I went to like I went up to Santa Monica. It's like, well, where are you going? I'm going snowboarding in the Alps, right? <laughs> you know, right. I was kind of surprised. Yeah, because we had a lot of. Uh, you're right. The, even the younger team members took some pretty extravagant vacations yeah. which i never took when i was that age I'm, I'm trying to think of the guy that made the contributions to the calendar i think he worked for driver he this guy took pictures he was all over the globe and he took these fantastic pictures and he'd work and when he went on vacation he went someplace special every time it was 
Yeah, that's the way to do it if you can. Well, <laughs> he probably got married, and that's why he doesn't take those kind of vacations anymore. <laughs> I would say that considering the job you were vacationing from, I don't think anybody faults you for having good vacations. <laughs> you know, so that's definitely something I would say is probably a bonus. Right. What would your take be like, you've been with WNL for the last 12 years. Have you seen a difference from where the office staff is is getting more and more office staff or is it about the same as it was when you were first hired no we're a lot bigger than when i was first hired and you know when you grow like that you definitely need to ramp up uh, the the office staff so there's you know there's a we've increased hiring in the last few years at all positions so not just operations but project administrators we have a full-time, I don't know, recruiter is not the right word, but... Kind of what they do is go around and find people to... Right. We've got a marketing department. We've got a pre-con department estimating, and estimating was... They did a lot of hiring, too, and we're probably still looking for estimators. Well, what about, like, on a project basis? I mean, you know, it's funny as you see, we do a lot of work with guys like Hensel Phelps and, and PCL and... And you just see such a difference in the different way that different generals do things. You know, Hetzel Phelps has ungodly billions numbers of people billions, <laughs> on every single project, whether it's a small project or a large project. Like, they're office heavy versus with the project we did with you guys recently, especially your crew. Like, your job, and Clifford even mentioned this, I mean, your guys' job was just as detailed and probably more difficult than the one that Hetzel Phelps was running. And you did it with five guys, I think, in the office. <laughs> well, we, we, yeah, we had... In the field office, let's say. Well, at, at one point in time, the field office on that job had, I would say, 12 to 13 people. That's less than um, 100 that you see on some of these other jobs. <laughs> but we paired, you know, we had, we were able to pare it down kind of towards the end. But we, we want enough people there to be effective and to keep, keep the work moving but I I guess you know I'm not in charge of staffing projects but when we started the project we definitely didn't have enough people because we only started the project with four yeah and that was definitely not enough and then and we, that's where your project executive helps out right correct they have uh, meetings once a week to talk about manpower so it's it's a pretty it's high on the list of do you have what you need to get the job done right so they so you feel that you're supported that way do you do you think that there are more people in office positions now and I, granted you know the amount of construction that's being going on is increasing and has continued since it has been but do you feel like most projects are office heavy more than more so than they used to be when you say off you're talking about the field office yeah yeah i would say that it it is a little and and i would say that probably a good reason for that is there's a lot of new people being hired and they need to be trained. Right. And so when you have a lot of new people on a project, somebody's got to train them. So it's, it's important to have, you know, maybe a, a senior project engineer on the job who can help to support the training along with the PM and the PS, uh, cause you get training from everybody, but it's from experience. I know it's very beneficial to have a senior project engineer on the, on any job, really, if you're if you're going to have new people showing up, because then they can take over the training aspect. They can they can help with more of the workflow. process 
uh, type training. Because, you know, when you get to, when you've been a PM for so long, you forget how to do all that stuff. <laughs> you can do it, but it's the entering it into the database and what's the way, you know, because it changes every few years with different whatever software computer system. Or right. And it probably changes with different clients. Right. That too. Yep, well, because the owner, the owner can specify like the scheduling software they want to use or whatever, right? right? That they really want to do. They say you have to use this, and now we don't have anybody in the company that knows how to use it. Somebody's got to learn how to do it on top of everything else you're supposed to do. And when the owner has their requirements, oftentimes you're doing double duty because you're putting it in our database, and then you have to put it in their database. Hence. <laughs> <laughs> The need for you know a lot more office engineers, I think. Exactly, but well, that's that's interesting to take. It's just it's interesting to see as construction continues to evolve. You know, you see more and more of these project engineer, project project office engineer type of positions that are out, and the, you know, there's a bunch of people in school for this right now, and as they come out, there's kind of secured work for it because it continues to grow. You know, do you guys notice any problems? Has W E O'Neill been affected, or do you talk about? The potential labor shortages, you know, laborer shortages, craft shortage. I would say where we see it is in the sub base. Yeah, uh, and the quality of sub that that you can get for the right budget, and you know, there's right. a lot of factors that that come into it. But you know, we've seen we just met with with one of the subs on the new project that I'm doing, where they they grew so quickly, and they couldn't manage quality uh, they or? couldn't it wasn't quality it was more uh, admittedly they said they hired people that didn't have the learning capacity i guess to to work safely so they're they get safety violations or whatever it is incidents and then the emr goes up and then you get you know that can be detrimental because your insurance goes up yeah. and then you may not be able to qualify for certain work and so on and so forth so they've pared down now but they said they went through some growing pains well, sorting that out. That's a hard thing. I, I come from, you know, having my own company doing residential. And when I first got with Wilson and Hampton, it's like, well, what do you mean? I can't just climb the ladder and, and you know, <laughs> I just get it done and be over with. And right. it's like, no, you can't do that. What do you mean I have to wear long pants? <laughs> right. Exactly. A hard hat? Got tennis what shoes? for? Safety glasses? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I can understand where that's coming from. But in the same vein, it's like. There's such a need for laborers, you know, and craftspeople, and and that's, you know, it's it's interesting to know that companies are talking about it. I mean, it's an industry known thing. Is it going to be a problem, especially with the amount of work that's on the books for the next few years? I guess that's important to know that a lot of the big generals are having this conversation and, and trying to figure out ways that yeah, it's gonna it'll affect everybody. There was in a thing. Construction. Wait till this fall. So, <laughs> so you know, because you look at the projects that are going to be like in the finish dates this fall, it's like holy cow! And there's actually are there more people on the project site when you get to the finishes? What would be uh, your take? Yeah, typically we've got everybody jammed in there. Yeah, <laughs> here comes the work. deadline, and everyone's trying <laughs> right. to get everything done. <laughs> right, working on top of each other. So yeah, you got big projects here, and you know, in the area of in. Los Angeles area, like the stadium and whatnot, you know, that we've looked at. And it's like, you've got to man that job to get it done. And if everyone's trying to man that job, let alone all the other work that's going on around it, like, how's that going right. to work out? Yeah, we see it, too, with, you know, we if the project 
doesn't go right away. You've got, you know, it gets delayed for whatever reason. You know, the subs don't know it. They're not just holding their number waiting, not in this market. So, you know, I found on this job I had uh, three, three concrete subs get too busy. I had to take it back out to bid, so it kind of delayed me buying that trade out, Jeez. which was very uh, nerve-wracking. Yeah, especially when that's one of the first subs got to be outside. Right, exactly. <laughs> how how old were the bids? First one that, that backed out told me he was just too busy before we even settled on the final contract value. So, at least, you know, and and believe me, we'd rather have you tell us. Yeah. That you're not going to be able to support the project, then then limp leg the project, and then one of the other ones, I went through the negotiation all the way to what I thought we were going to sign him up. And then kind of last minute he, he called me and said he, he wasn't going to be able to man it the way he would want to, to for his reputation or whatever. So that was, that was unnerving. And then, you know, just a couple others that said they were interested and then said, we're just too busy. So now as a learning experience for people that are coming into the industry, when you put out a bid like that and you get a number from a guy and then he says kind of last minute that he's not going to be able to do it. What, are there any repercussions? I mean, I, I don't know that you guys had named them as a bit as, as part of the work or the, the sure. Every company is different. The right. repercussions for us is, you know, we tell estimating, um, <laughs> be wary of this guy. Be, yeah. You know, this <laughs> is what happened. This is a strike. Watch out. Yeah. It's a strike, but it's not like we're never going to do business with right. that company. It's just, you know, it's a blemish, I guess. It sort of boggles my mind. If it's close between him and somebody else, yeah, you might lean. That the guy other doesn't way. have a strike, you right. know. Yeah. I don't think we've ever not performed on a job that someone said we're giving you the work. Yeah, <laughs> because we're experienced. <laughs> you know, I remember when my dad was still here. One time I said, "Well, I don't know what we're going to do if." if we get this job, this job, this job. And he goes, don't worry about that. Just get the work. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, we will find a way to do it. And, and we do, you know, you find a way to do it. Right. Mm -hmm. Typically that involves your field, your office guys haven't go out in the field and then they make Cliff mad because he has to do all the work (laughs) himself. But, you know, we get through it however we have to do it, I guess. So from here, I mean, you're project manager. Where do you think you want to go? Are you wanting to be a project executive? You want to stay close to the field? I mean, that's a good question. And it's funny because I just had my review, my performance annual review. And that's one of the things that they always ask. And so senior PM is now a uh, title. Okay. So you can move up to senior PM. So I could move up to senior PM. I'm not sure executive is a title. Your position that I would want to go to just there's just aspects of it that I just see executives when they get involved it's usually because things are not going well and then it's it's a lot of negotiation arguing you know it's I just don't I, I don't think I'm good at it and I just my personality is is more maybe lower level than being an executive but they you know they're also in charge of finding work uh, which I think I could do, but it's I don't want to have the headaches of always being called in to deal with the the problem the child. problems. <laughs> well, you know, 
there's always this idea that oh you got to keep going up going up going up but you know there's always a need for a project manager and if a guy's a really good project manager why don't you just let him be a good project manager (laughs) (laughs) right and you you know we that's that's fine at o'neill i mean that they wouldn't frown on that they just you know everybody like you said cliff everybody wants to keep climbing the ladder but you know sometimes you you get to a position you like why yeah why move up and deal with different headache if you got the stuff that you like there's not a real return on the investment when you move up all the time right correct more responsibility maybe that's reflected in your pay but is it is it enough to it's you gotta weigh all the options right and i just i'm in a good position now senior pm maybe i'd also express some interest in getting involved in more of the pre-construction aspect maybe doing some estimating but you know i've done some estimating in my history at O'Neill already. Uh, I don't think I'd want to do it every day. <laughs> it takes a special <laughs> kind of person. It's a lot of drawings to look at. Oh, yeah. And heck, especially when you get some contractors that will only give you paper drawings. They don't even give you. Yeah. We've had those drawings for about a month. And last week I got a call from this general. And she said, well, you know, we sent you these drawings. I said, yeah, what did you send those for? And she goes, well, that's the only way we distribute the information. I said, is this a bad joke? I said, you're not going to send us digital drawings? She went, no. Wow. Yeah, exactly. And I said, well, you better give me a reason to take the time to bid this. How many contractors do you have bidding this? And she was like, I'm not sure. I said, well, we're not going to take it off unless there's a real reason to do this because dealing with paper and there's you know a couple other couple hundred sheets there that just and she said i don't understand it either (laughs) well yeah we we only distribute digital drawings we won't send paper copies anymore it's up to you if you want them right yeah no that was just one of those yeah wow that's still going on apparently i myself like to have a paper copy if i'm doing a project but well, it's one thing if you're in the field. Right. You know, it's like you got something you can make notes, move around. Right. But to estimate? Right. Good heck. It's a lot, yeah, it's a, it's a different different world for sure. I guess, you know, for people that are looking to, to maybe they want to come work for O'Neill, maybe start working up the ladder, what advice would you have for them? I mean, someone let's say someone that's just right out of school, they come to O'Neill, they get on as a, as a project engineer, not a, a project, field engineer. Project or field. Okay. You know, what What should they be looking to do, you know, that's going to help their chances of moving up? I always tell people to, you know, think about how you can make other people's jobs easier. So as a PM, you know, I don't want to get into, like, the submittals folder and be totally Inundated. blind and not understand it at all. Like, think, you know, if I, if I something were to happen to me, I quit. I do something else. Is somebody going to be able to get into my work and understand what I was doing? He's laughing because I tell people that <laughs> all the time. It's like it's not about you knowing. Right. It's about everybody else being to know what you know. You'd be able to at least pick this up and go, oh, I understand what's going on. So this little note that you can have for yourself, it's worthless. Right. And I'm, believe me, I have to tell myself a lot because I, I – keep a lot on my desktop and I should be putting it on on the network on the network in the, in and, the making job sure, and making it clear that what it is so it's always 
you know, come, come and ask, you know, how can I make this easier for the next person? It's just little things that to think about, uh, you know, if you get a PDF document and some pages are portrait and some are landscape, just and, fix and it. The ne- the, you're sending it to somebody, you know, did, does that person want to take the time to straighten everything out? <laughs> you know, why don't you do it for them so that when they get it, they can just read it. So one of the things that I need have to, I'll ask you to chime in on this. And the thing I tell a lot of people is just have a little bit of initiative. You know, it's like maybe what you're doing is not where you want to be, but you should want to do it as best as you can so that you can move up to the next thing and want to do that as best as you can. I, we, we go out on these jobs and, you know, I do a lot of work out in the field on some of these big religious structures and we take guys and they're like mules. You tell them exactly what to do. They will do it until they die or it's done. But as soon as it's done, they have like no initiative to think about, well, what's the next thing I could be doing? Or maybe I could be helping this guy. Oh, he needs, you know, I could go over and help this guy or go do that. And so uh, we were actually having this conversation before we started recording, like having that little bit of initiative to like, okay, like, what else can I do to help? Well, and as you say, you know, look for other ways to help people. That's probably, you got to have that initiative. And it's so vis- like it's so recognizable when you're in the field or in the position where these people work underneath you. Oh, this guy's got it. Like, you know, he may not be the smartest or whatever, but he's here to learn and he's here to do that. You know, versus, yeah, that guy's a good worker, but I have to spend every free minute making sure that he's got something to do. Right. Otherwise... It's nothing's going to get done or, or constantly reminding him of the stuff you've already reminded a, he or she <laughs> them of to have done already. Did this get done? No. Well, why not? I don't know. Is it? Why? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> because you didn't do it. That's why it's not done. <laughs> the people that O'Neill's hiring new to the industry, what kind of education are they are they coming to O'Neill with? Are they are a lot of them civil engineers or construction technology people? Or we hire seemingly a lot of civil engineers. I would say if if there was a a degree that that was more prevalent than others in O'Neill, it would be civil engineer. But you know, it's a mixed mixed bag. We've got structural engineers, architects. Me. <laughs> <laughs> the, the guys that come in that are civil engineers, do they have a stamp? Or um, were they just, they have the civil engineering education, and then they decide, I don't really want to be, or I don't care about having a li- being a licensed engineer, and I'm just going to work in the construction industry. It depends on the person, but a lot of them, it, it's mostly the civil engineering education. And then... You get some that are still pursuing being a professional engineer, mm-hmm. PE, PE, or the engineering and training, or EIT, whatever that is. And then I, I think you know, at some point maybe people just decide, I don't want to do pursue the engineering anymore. I like this better. But I'm not sure, if we have any actual stamped, stampable engineers in our in O'Neill, we may. None that I've worked with. <laughs> well, it's it's interesting because it just depends on the people. I mean, they make a lot of difference. You know, one of the best field engineers we worked with had a construction management degree, you know, and he was on the ball. And we worked with some civil engineers that are good and some that are bad and some construction. It just depends on the person, not necessarily the education. 
So if you have the paper to get in the door, right? You know, you're the one that makes the difference, I guess. But you're not hiring English lit majors. Not that I know of. You can have not an, that we wouldn't. You could have an industrial <laughs> whatever degree, right? Industrial <laughs> distribution. That's right. So. And have never worked for a general contractor in your life. <laughs> and still get hired. Still get hired. Would you say that your experience in construction before you started working at WNL has been extremely helpful for you in your position? Or I, I think it has definitely helped more for understanding how things go together and kind of how things lay out and helping me envision ways to that things could go together so i think it's it definitely helped a ton uh, having that kind of field experience where i actually was installing work and as a pm you know you get change order requests from electricians or mechanical or plumbing guys where you know they've got just a spreadsheet that's spit out by some program that they have and you know they're showing a three-eighths hanger taking an hour and then I just look at him and say, come on, man. <laughs> I've drilled three-eighths <clears throat> diameter holes in concrete. They don't take that long. See, and that's what I think the work experience, one of the assets that you've gained from that work experience is a sense of how long things take. Because if you've never done that stuff, sometimes you don't think it takes any time at all. Right. Oh, how long could it take? Well... Well, you know, you go get the ladder, you you know, you get you round up all the freaking tools for one hole, right? And it's over on the other side of the job. It takes a while, right? You know, right. and if you'd have told me you wanted this hanger there before I started, it wouldn't have cost anything, right? right. I guess it does go both ways. I'm sure there's a lot of changes that might be padded because the engineer that's looking at it doesn't really have a sense of of what it's going to take. And, uh, granted, depending on where you're working, sometimes that's what's needed. Right. You, know, you never know what the situation's going to be. Either that or they just can't live with 15% overhead and profit. <laughs> who, who can? Seriously. I mean, but what, uh, I guess one of the other questions we'd talk about is what's some of the major software that WNL uses that people could probably be aware of, at least, if nothing else? Our database is CMIC, which I think is Oracle. Okay. based program and we're starting to implement more and more this textura uh, which is a payment yep. Mm -hmm. third party payment stuff um, which i'm using it on this job i'm on now although the owner's not using it so it's it's maybe not as streamlined as it could be if the owner was using it i think it's supposed to really help facilitate and make payment much easier and then p6 for scheduling okay and we use box for a lot of your for network all shares. storage network shares we can invite subs right. architects limit their access to things we use plan grid a lot now what do you think about plan grid i personally haven't used it too much okay. but i i like the functionality of it i mean i like that everything's there you can you know just touch your ipad on an rfi number and it'll take you to the rfi and you know, it's supposed to be good for closeout. You can take pictures, post the picture, same thing, you give it to the sub, they can touch it. And if the subs are using it, it's, it works even better. I would say, I, we did, when we did Salk down in San Diego for ISEC, that was one of the things they wanted us to use was plan grid. 
And at the time, I don't think it was as polished as it is now. And one of the big concerns was, apparently when they did the closeout documents, like, they couldn't just print the as-builts from the documents that were on the plan grid. Like, there was something that... They couldn't oh, get all the comments right? and stuff on it, and it just turned into a huge headache. I'm sure that's been resolved. I, I don't know for sure, but I would imagine, because more and more people are using it. I'll have to check into that. But yeah, it was like, if we went to print the as-builts, like, none of the comments were included like all the stuff that had gone on on all those shared documents they couldn't get them on there <laughs> well but they also had probably an overwhelming amount of comments because it was a historical restoration project and the architect wanted to know every nail that was taken out and every nail that was put in i mean literally <laughs> that's what they you know when, when we bid the work they told us okay when they did the mock-up there were people from the getty that were feeling the back of the guy's hand that was sanding to, to make sure pressure. they weren't applying too much pressure. So you wow. imagine you just got sandpaper in your hand with someone's hand sitting on top of yours. I mean, so there was a lot that went into that job. Stop pushing my hand. I won't apply so much pressure. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I just think like on a daily basis, do you guys use Procore or anything like that? I mean, basically Blue Beam. You guys use Blue Beam? Blue Beam a lot. It seems like almost anybody anymore, that's the way to go. Right. I don't know what Procore is. Procore is a construction management software. What's what's PCL using? That's not Procore. They're on Procore, yes, because when you log into there for the job we're doing currently, yeah. that's through Procore. Yeah. You sure? Yeah. Ours is CMIC. Okay. So it's our database, but it's also the management software. Now, and and like and the accounting software. To understand, yeah, like if you go to a general, you know, they're going to have their software that they use. But there's a lot of these similarities, like Bluebeam, that guys, you know, almost anybody in the industry, at least somebody has a copy of it on their machine. Right. Everything we print from our management software is is becomes a Bluebeam document. You guys doing daily reports or anything with mobile devices now, or? Uh, starting starting to and safety we are doing safety mojo it's called mm -hmm. which is a mobile device yeah. app that you can do your safety reports do, on do your safety report and i think it i think it maybe there's a way it goes right into our database i'm not sure it's, it's supposed to i mean that's kind of the point right right i would be interested to know just on a personal level you know is there anything that you see out there technology wise that you think is going to make waves in the industry I'm really the, probably the wrong person to ask. <laughs> You're not on the bleeding edge of technology, right? Definitely not on the. We have a technology committee at O'Neill who researches all this stuff, but I haven't heard of anything recently. Anyway. If, you, if you could just have your daily report show up on your phone, you'd be a happy man. Huh? I don't. Thankfully, I don't have to do daily reports. But if the, if the uh, superintendents could have that happen, they would be very because that's a. It's just a task that's a pain. It's a pain. And you got to do it every day. And the fact that, you know, some of this software, I, I look at some of these and think, okay, this would be amazing to use. But then you're faced with the hurdle of you got to train your people to use it. <laughs> like, what's the, yeah, the right. trade off is huge when it finally gets taken care of. But the hurdle to get there is going to be. The learning curve can be daunting. Because, like, they could send you a daily report that's got pictures of things. And, hey, we walked into this room because the general told us it was ready to go. And, here it is, not no drywall on the wall, you know. <laughs> but uh, it's you just have to weigh it against that. So nothing too exciting that that's just reaches out and makes you think it's 
going to be that much different. Yeah. I'm You're not worried that a robot's going to take your job anytime in the future. I, I don't. No, I'm not. <laughs> I think the tools of the construction industry are going to get better. But there's got to be people on site all the time. And it's not going to be a bunch of robots. There's so many variables that occur in every project. Unanticipated circumstances. Right. You know? And we're using, you know, we use BIM all the time. And it's, it's a great tool. Have you seen a huge, because you were around before BIM, you know, you were in the industry before BIM was really popular. I w- do you see the benefit of something I like do. that? I do, for sure. Fortunately or unfortunately, the projects I've had haven't been heavy coordinated projects. They haven't paid for the BIM. Um, there models. was one I did. <laughs> the first job I was on when I started, where I didn't know anything, could have benefited from BIM, but we didn't have it then. So that caused the superintendent much stress because, uh, uh, unfortunately, on that job he was really the guy that had to facilitate it because he had a couple green engineers, me being one of them. Then I did a project in El Segundo. It was the first BIM project that O'Neill did, and we didn't. And it was heavy overhead utilities, and we didn't have one. Once we got the model done, we didn't have one clash overhead. You don't have where the electrical is trying to occupy the same space as the plumbing or right. the HVAC or whatever, mm-hmm. right? So we did the whole coordination on BIM. And when it was done, everybody printed their own drawings and they had their own dimensions. And as long as you followed your own stuff, there was no way. We had one issue, and it was because the mechanical sub used the plumbing sub's grid line. So he had to move. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And there was no argument. You're out of line, buddy. (laughs) Yeah, once we deciphered what happened, I said, well, you got to you used his layout? Well, that's not what you're supposed to do. You, you have your own drawings. <laughs> Follow those instead. That's right. No, so that's good to hear that. I mean, you can see that there's a definitely a benefit for some of these things as they're, you know, I'm sure it was a, a hard-fought struggle to get people to accept it to begin with. But once they see the value, you know, they accept it and go on. Yeah, and, and there's no doubt, like Cliff said, that there's always going to be the need for people. And you can see it just day-to-day. With the amount of email traffic there is now, and you can see, I see it all the time, a sub communicating with a project engineer, project superintendent, whoever it is, and everybody's reluctant to pick up the phone and hammer it out. So it's just email, then there's another email, then there's another email, nothing's, what this person's saying isn't making really sense to this person. So just pick up the phone. It's usually where I step in and say, let's call the person. (laughs) Heard that before. (laughs) Well, you know, it's it's easy to get caught up in this. It's almost like a pissing match over email. You know, like, oh, this is going on or this is going on. And and you read way too much into what's being said or not being said. And and you go back and forth and back and forth. And I've had times where Cliff's just told me, just call the freaking guy (laughs) and get it over with. Thanks, Cliff. (laughs) Well, you know, I use email, though, because... I have this perception that I'm just wasting my time calling a guy because so often they're not available. So I send the information to him, and and then, you know, if things go back once or twice, it's like, oh, wait a minute, we're not on the same wave. Like, we need to call and talk this over because there's just more stuff than you want to communicate written in a written form. And Yeah, sometimes it just takes too long to put yeah, it. Yeah, put it all down. 
especially the way I type. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, strange. You know, but I'm, I'm getting ready to, you know, endorse a contract, and there are things there that don't match up with our pre-award meeting exactly. And so rather than you've got 10 items, rather than call him up and say, okay, let's start here. I'm going to send him, here's the items, right? So he can look at them and then we can get on the phone together. Right. We have an agenda basically. Right. Which is, I'm going to tell Randy, but most of the GCs are doing pre-award meetings now and they all have an agenda and they have item numbers, right? Or items are all numbered. Numbered, whatever. Yeah, whatever, right? So this thing's included. Well, you know, they have inclusions, exclusions, general inclusions. Sure. I've noticed these two projects, they don't use the same numbers. So Hansel Phelps stayed in order, but something got deleted. And so they just, well, we just moved up a number. Then when you go back and try to match the contract to the pre-award meeting and all your issues, it's like, oh. in PCL, it was like completely random. So it's like, what was number three is now number 14 and you're dancing all over the place. And I want to tell both of them, you guys, you know, once you set up that system, if if you delete an item, just go not used so that we can go through there and address those issues that were actual issues, you know, more more quickly, it's rather than spending hours trying to match things up on the contract. So there's an interesting question for you as a project Good manager. to know. Well, yeah. Making things easy for people. Right. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, why can't you just copy and paste it right into the contract? You know. You can. You know, so <laughs> make life a little easier for you. The answer to your question is you can. Um, but sometimes it doesn't look as good if you have a bunch of not used. <laughs> I guess. Well, because this is, and this, for those of you that don't know, I mean, that's common practice. Is if I'm on a big job, you're one of the subs that's looking at the job. You bid it. They like your number. They'll bring you in and do this pre-bid meeting where they go over all of this. Did you include this? Did you exclude that? Do you have this? Do you have this? Basically, they want to make sure you have a good, your bid is good. And then they submit the contract, and this is where Cliff is talking not they have it numbered one way in the meeting and then that shows up completely different in the contract and so now trying to go through and match those items up it just takes so much extra time well generals you can just copy and paste those notes. leave the not used in <laughs> you know? leave the not used in just not used so, got it noted would you say that a majority of the problems in your experience are more field related or paper related or is it about half and half depends on the project yeah i would say well, most of the issues, you know, you get, a, you get a set of documents and you try to install for the documents. Obviously, they're not going to be perfect. So there's your paper. Right. And then it becomes a field issue because you can't do it. So, Or if you're working with an existing structure, I mean... <laughs> you tear apart a parking structure. The, the, chances, not the, way it's the chances of things being documented correctly are not real high. No. Especially when they get older. Mm-hmm. I would wonder if you spend more time trying to fix problems in the field or trying to fix problems that have made their way into the office on paper. If a problem can be resolved in the field without paper... A thousand times better. All for it. Yeah. Um, these days, though, it seems nothing can be resolved in the field without paper, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, just seems to be the way it goes. Some, you know, it's just, you know, it's, you got to document everything, and it's it just makes it heavy the paper side is very heavy so just get used to 
pushing a lot of paper. Yep. So is there anything uh, you would want to add at all to the end? I mean, any uh, advice you'd give guys in school? Don't do it. Get a, get a different job. <laughs> Search for a different career path. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's uh, it's a good good career. Construction is fun because it's you know you're not stuck doing the same thing day in and day out. Every project is different, so there's variety, and you know it's fun to solve problems. Yeah, I would say to add to that, I read, you know, and we were talking about this before we got started recording. You know, I have a lot of friends that went the IT route, and I was something that I was heavily involved in in school. And so it was kind of a question of, you know, am I going to do construction? Am I going to do IT? And what am I going to do? And I finally decided to do construction. And I've enjoyed it. I mean, it's it's different every day. It's a whole lot of headaches sometimes. But it's not the same thing over and over again. Right. And I know guys that have worked for companies for 15 years. And then that company disappears. And it's like, at the end of the day, what do you have to show for your work? You know, now they have what they've made and, and yada, yada. But they, it's like, I can drive by some places and tell my kids, hey, you see that building? Like we painted that, or we were involved in the building of that, and there's a value to that, I believe. You know, like you have something tangible for the work that you put into it. Absolutely. You know, I'm going to bring something up that I told Liz. We had a recent graduate here for a little less than a year. We lost her to a general contractor, a general contractor that doesn't distribute digital drawings. digital documents. <laughs> <coughs> so, but I told her I, when she she did some submittals. For projects and I said you have to read every one of every piece of product data that you send out you need to read because you don't know any of that stuff you know she's only been working eight months I said you need to read that and I said you're not gonna understand a lot of it but as you read more and more and more you're, you're gonna gain knowledge and so forth and I said I have this perception that the younger people have been taught oh you don't need to know that stuff you can just find the answer and it dawned on me, no, you need to know all this stuff because that's how you solve problems is with that wealth of knowledge, things that have occurred before that you can use in a different way. If you think you're going to, like, learn it every time, you're going to be left behind. So you, and I told her when she left, I said, just get all the information you can while you're there. And if you have the opportunity to be in the field, go and see how things are going together. Because you'll start to put things together for yourself. But if you think you're gonna like, oh, well, a new problem's come up, I'm going to like go to some source to get an answer, you're not even gonna get close. The, right. the, the person with the knowledge is gonna have it solved before you figure out what the problem is. You can Google it how many different ways, <laughs> yeah. try to find something. Right. Uh, the one thing I would add to that too is like this, we've we've had people that have worked here in the past, and it's like they don't think they need to read the drawings. They can just search <laughs> for the call out or whatever it is they want, and it's like, just start at the top of the corner page and just go through and scan it. You know, look, just see what's there, and go to the next page and do the same thing. Like, yeah, there may be a time where you've got to find something fast, and you can. I can't remember exactly what sheet that was on. Like, let's search, you know, for something, but I can't tell you how many times things have been missed because they just don't take the time to read and learn the document. Right. Know? And, you know, the architects aren't perfect. So not everything's going to be called out. Right. Well, yeah, and that was, you know, we talked about that with the architect, with Brian when we had him on. It's like, 
it used to be a time that one architect might be the guy that touches every single page on a project and now they might be lucky to touch a quarter of the pages you know there's so many different architects working on the same project and they'll take a portion you've got the second floor you've got the first floor right and you may not know everything and so stuff doesn't get transmitted back and forth well I, uh, randy we appreciate having you on thank you uh, for having me glad you came out and uh you know we did enjoy the the one job that we had with him out at the airport was it was a pain. <laughs> there was a lot of headache that was involved you in that. Tell job. everybody, look at these towers. <laughs> <laughs> For the most part, I do. I just say don't look too closely. <laughs> but uh, they, I was out there the other day, and you know, I was, as I was driving around Tom Bradley, I was like, yeah, you know, like that all came together. Like they don't look too bad. They don't look no. bad. They look good. For well, what they, they look were. way better than they did before. <laughs> I mean, it was a huge improvement. So having been through kind of the trenches with randy we're appreciative of him and we do feel like wnl at least in the experience that we've had has been supportive to subcontractors so we really appreciate that and and i think that's a big deal you know you don't want to work for a sub where or for a general where you're constantly having to watch your back you know we've had this conversation even tonight about certain stuff called generals and the headache that comes out so right yeah we like i said earlier we want everybody to succeed and and you know we're all in it really for the same goal so you know most generals will say that right <laughs> they all say that but in fact the ones that we work for the most are the ones that actually do that you know they try to make your job easier you know they if you tell them you're in trouble some way they tr they try to help you out we don't get into a lot of trouble uh, not we try to not make it our our general contractors' yeah. problems. <laughs> right, <laughs> to some extent they are, you know. But uh, well, I try to make it a point to make it easy on the general. You know, it's like, hey, I see this coming, right? Are you guys on the same page? So, well, thanks for coming in, Randy, and uh, good luck to you in the future, wherever you decide to go, whether that's <laughs> estimating or whatever you think you might want to do. Senior project manager, senior PM, senior PM. <laughs> you know, that that period makes a big difference. SR. PM. <laughs> so, and yeah. Can I be like a senior? You could be the senior COO. <laughs> I guess that's what you want to be. We could put that on your business card. <laughs> so, all right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, follow along with Randy. They can find you on LinkedIn, I'm sure. Yes, you can. So everyone can look you up if they really are interested to see what you got going on. All right. uh, he's enjoying a project that he's got right now. He thinks he's going to be able to ride his bike. That's right. To and from home to work. So <laughs> A wood-framed project. That's right. <laughs> In Southern California. So that'll be a lot of fun. We'll be interested to see how it goes. Thank you.